this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on, and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free, or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our city. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. As the announcer guy said, my name is Dave. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast, on your device or on your PC or wherever you're listening. Hope things are, are going well as the pandemic stretches on. We continue to talk to professionals here about what their lives are like, how maybe business has changed. And I've got a lawyer on the line. He is Jonathan Crafts, who is, he does compact, complex commercial litigation. He does white collar criminal defense stuff. All kinds of secret, cool, legal stuff that I used to do, but I don't do anymore. Anyway, let's welcome Jonathan Crafts to the program. Yes. Hey, how are you? It's nice to be here. <laughs> Good. Good. You're wearing a tie, which is is uh, I compliment you on that. How many how many days a week are we doing that? Usually zero. I felt like I had to get dressed up today. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, understandably, we're connecting on Zoom, continuing to abide by the at least the spirit of the law, the rule of social distancing and all this nonsense as it continues and continues and continues. How has your pandemic been? How has life been? How has business been? Pandemic has really changed the way things work. I mean, we don't see clients in person much anymore, only when really needed. Depositions are, I mean, if they're in person, that makes it, they've been really difficult. Everything is really done by Zoom. It's been it's been interesting. You can connect with some more people from further away. You don't have to travel as much, mm. but being at home, working from home, I guess being a lawyer, you have the advantage. You can do that right. uh, unlike some other professions, but well, it, it has been, it has really changed the way things work. So depositions, I know that in the old days, pre-pandemic video depositions were a thing, but that's not, but that doesn't necessarily mean they were remote, right? Has, has all that kind of stuff changed? Yeah, I mean, it really has changed. I mean, it, it, you would never take a video deposition without that person in the room before. Right. I mean, I would, I would never have done that before. And it, it's really, I mean, honestly, the only way I can really see people react to my questions. I mean, if you're getting somebody in a room with you, you have to be, you have to be in a huge conference room. You can't even see them. Right. Uh, it's, it, the video depositions are probably, I've found them to be better than in person because you don't want to have the person wearing a mask or anything. Yeah. But it, it's just, I, I guess the benefit of these days is we have the technology to kind of keep work going. 
Whereas 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have had Zoom depositions mm-hmm. or the capability of doing them. So I guess the advantage right now is we have some of the technology, although it's really been, you know, we're adjusting, yeah. but it's been, a, it's been a high hurdle. Have you done court hearings by Zoom? I know that's happening in some courts and with some judges. It's been, I, I haven't actually done, I mean, most of my, most of my work has not been in court recently Okay. Uh, during the pandemic. I mean, most of it's been shut down. So I've been doing more of my work behind, I, I guess, behind the scenes is the best way to put it. Working with, working against other attorneys, other clients, things like that. Not really in court, but I do know, I mean, the federal system has the capability to do Zoom hearings and things like that. The state has really worked to update their system. The state was... The state system, I think this has been really an impetus to really move it forward, which I think is in the long run going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get some of these status conferences and things like that. I think it's it's far easier to do a status conference with a judge on Zoom mm-hmm. than doing it in person. I mean, everybody's wasting a lot less time doing that. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be the need to get in person. I mean, trials have to be in person. I mean, there have been some Zoom trials, but I really think trials need to be in person. And are, tri- are trials happening in Massachusetts? Are they happening in person? I know on the criminal on the criminal side, I guess they are because there are what like constitutional implications for people that need to be heard. Right. So they're in there wearing the the masks and everything. But yeah, I mean, I, especially with the arraignment and the beginning of yeah. criminal trial, they really have to be in person. But I, everybody's adjusting and doing the best you can. I mean, I don't really know what's going to happen once the quarantine is lifted and the courts can open up to a more fuller, a more full extent, mm-hmm. because there's such a backlog. If there are any, it, there are some trials going on, but it's one trial at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, I think things could get really difficult once the, once the courts actually finally open up because there's people have been sitting there. There's, there's constitutional limits on how long a case can remain languishing. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're pushing it in some, some situations and I don't, I don't envy the judges because I think, I mean, they were already overloaded to begin with. And then once this all opens up, it's going to be really difficult. So I just noticed, if I'm not mistaken, you and I have something in common in that we attended a uh, certain private preparatory institution in Milton. Are you a Milton Academy alum? I have a Milton Academy alum, yep. All right. You're you're younger than I, but what, what are your memories of... Uh, Dear Milton, are, or, did you dare to be true like uh, the rest I, of us? I always, dare, I always dare to be true. My mother actually was, she taught at Milton Academy. Oh, is that so right? I was what they call a faculty brat. Okay. And, uh, we lived on campus during my during my high school. Oh, term. really? Okay. So not in the dorm. You lived like with your family on campus. Right. Right, okay. right on campus. Right on, it, right on the corner of Randolph and Center, Center Street. Yeah. The, the heart of uh, Milton Academy. For my senior project me and three of my buddies we did a documentary called off center which was a very clever play on center street and uh, it was it was pretty terrible but but did you did you enjoy your days at milton i did i I mean milton was a great preparation for college for everything else i mean i think the education there was great i think the capability to do so many different things at Milton. I mean, music, art, I wouldn't have gotten that at the public school uh, where I would have gone. Yeah. It's a beautiful school. Like I graduated in 86 and have been back a few times. 
and the school at when I was there was beautiful and really looked like a college campus or, or the, pretty much the most go, the go, the most uh, beautiful college campus you can imagine and now even more so and it's yeah it, it's it's almost it's almost too much now, but but it was a little bit of everything. It was great for me. It was a little bit of an awakening because the culture of a prep school exists. Like it's it's a real thing. Like I had never growing up in Sharon, Mass, and kind of a little bit of a a bubble of of uh, I don't know. I mean, Sharon happens to be like mostly Jewish and some immigrants and stuff like that, and I just had never seen that many people before named Forbes and Hathaway and a lot <laughs> a lot of old money. I mean, it's a diverse campus, but still like the it reminded me of some of the movies you see about prep school, like Scent of a Woman. But the the, the but the what was the dress code like when you were there? Was there a dress code? We didn't really have a dress code. I mean it was I, mean, I... No jeans, right? They didn't allow yeah, us to wear I, I, I wore jeans and t-shirts. You did? Yeah. I mean, that oh, was, they got that was rid- the year. They got I mean, rid of the dress code. Wow. Yeah. The dress code when I was there, it was not coat and tie like like you see on you know, depictions of, of prep school, but it was no jeans and you had to wear a collared shirt. Now, yeah. that still allowed us to dress really raggedy when we wanted to, but yeah, no jeans. Can you imagine? I mean... But yeah, dear, dear old Milton. So give us an idea of, of why you do what you do and maybe an example of helping a client. I, I think going from the white collar side, I mean, I, my goal is really to make sure that everybody is represented and gets their day in court. Mm-hmm. Some people are accused of crimes that either they didn't commit or they're sensationalized. I mean, everybody has their story that should be heard. And my goal as an attorney is to make sure that everybody everybody I represent gets their day in court, or, I mean, it, it doesn't actually have to be in court, but I mean, their, their chance to be heard. I mean, our system is set up so that everybody should be innocent mm-hmm. until the government can prove without a doubt that they're guilty. And I, I think some of that discourse is, has been lost with, I mean, social media and with the changes in communication going on these days. So, I mean, my, my goal in the white collar world is really just to make sure that somebody gets their, gets good representation, gets their story out. And if, if they're judged to be guilty, then the government really has to prove their case in the civil side. I mean, the civil side is disputes between companies is really what I handle. Mm -hmm. And we really, it's I take the, a similar approach to the civil side as I do to the criminal side, because I mean everybody has their story, and you need to argue it in the best possible way. I mean there's a lower burden of proof in civil, but I mean the decisions in civil litigation can really impact a lot of people's work, a lot of people's jobs, a lot of people's livelihoods, and so it's really important to make sure everything is functioning in the appropriate way. How I mean, you can't you can't have a free market economy if you if one company can get ahead by doing underhanded stuff. How do you explain to a layperson that a client can come to you and admit their guilt and then you still find a duty to represent them and give them their day in court? Cause that even I, I, I graduated law school in 93 and 
a lot of people are cynical about this element of the law. Like if the person did it, then the lawyer standing up there telling the judge that they didn't do it. Well, isn't that lawyer kind of a scumbag? So tell me how you tell people that you're not a, a scumbag, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I mean, as I said, everybody should be able to tell their side of the story. Things aren't, in my experience, things are not nearly as black and white as you can see them from an, from an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, I mean, there are very few people in the world who are purely bad. People do things for different reasons. And I mean, the law is set up in a more black and white manner, but my job is to listen to somebody's story and argue why they essentially why they did what they did. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't just because you, I mean, laws are not always set up in a way to, well, I, I, let, let me, let me take a step back. Sure. So the people that I tend to represent, they may have done some bad things, but that doesn't necessarily make them bad people. Okay. Uh, and yeah, but they know, should pay for the things that they did. Right. Well, they, so. they, if the government can prove that they did what they did, they will pay. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that, that the way our government is, the way our system is set up, the government has to be able to prove that they did what they're accused of doing. Right. But the, the government might misfile something or the chain of evidence is broken. And so, and yet you can get a client to escape culpability because of that, what some people would call a uh, loophole or something like that. And, and yet you maybe have to live with that, that they did something bad. You helped them get off. And really it was just an error on the part of the government. How do you, you can tell I'm just uh, needling you here for the sake of argument, but. Um, of course, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's the government's job. Right. To prove that somebody did something that broke the law. And my job is to make sure the government can prove its case without a doubt. Yeah. I don't, I mean, every individual should be afforded the benefit, afforded the benefit of the doubt when they're accused of something. And if we, if we essentially convict people before the government can prove its case, then I mean, where does it stop? I, the government, the government is the one who writes the laws and needs to enforce the laws the people of the com- of the country need to be able to live their lives without fear of unjust prosecution. And I mean, one individual client may be accused of something. I mean, and, and they may have told me that they did it, but in the greater scheme of things, the government needs to be able to prove that somebody violated the law before putting them in jail or taking away their liberties. Right. And that's that. So that's the right answer. So congratulations. Thank yeah. You. So <laughs> you didn't know you were going to get a whole course on uh, criminal law and uh, constitutional law maybe this morning, but, but that's what I tell people. It's like you, you may the, 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 like my criminal law professor used to say, when you plead not guilty, it is very much by design called not guilty and not innocent. And what you're saying. And when you plead not guilty is, is my criminal law professor, Stanley Fish used to say, prove it. It means not guilty means prove it. You got to prove it. And we make the government prove it every time and all the steps that they need to take to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they screw it up, screw up, well, like you say, it's on them. It's their, it's their job to prove it. It's their 
burden. And the reason why someone like you will continue to zealously defend someone, even if you know that they committed the crimes, is because you do it every time. You do it every time. Because on the one occasion where you might not, the result could be catastrophic. And if, God forbid, you or I were accused of a crime we didn't commit, you'd want the government to have to prove every last little thing, right? It, and, right. And, and if that one little step that they skipped over is like, well, so what? We think he did it anyway. Well, no, that's not, uh, that's not it. So I, I ran across an interesting question on social media that someone posed, and there was a guy, I'm going to forget who it was, but it was some government official who appeared somewhere in a, in a social setting and he was speaking, I think, and he, he wasn't wearing a mask and later discovered that he had, he has COVID and he knew he tested positive for COVID. He still didn't wear the mask. And so the, the criminal law question for you, Jonathan Krauss is, could he be guilty of any kind of crime? Could he be guilty of any kind of criminal negligence? So it, uh, a government official knew that he had COVID and spoke to people without knowing that he had it. He spoke to people without a mask. I mean, it, it's a good question, right? Yeah. I mean, it, what, what should, I mean, it gets to the level of what should the government enforce? Is it the government's role to protect people's health? I mean, what, what kind of laws can be put in place? I mean, there is the, there's the personal liberty side, which our country is built upon personal liberty, but at the same time, I mean, the government's job is to protect all those people so to allow them the liberty to do what they want. Yeah. I mean, there has to be some kind of, there has to be some kind of limit, some kind of base level of government enforcement. I, if you know that you have COVID and right. you are not wearing a mask, right. I, I, that is a, that is arguably a criminal act. Well, I mean, what, what criminal like, act is, what criminal act is it arguably? <laughs> that, I mean, the, the question then becomes, yeah. how would you enforce that? Right. See, I, I was thinking if you take it to an extreme, let's say the guy did a speaking engagement and let's say somebody was in the front row and let's say they contracted COVID and died. Now, I hope I certainly hope that doesn't happen, but this is what we do in law, law school and <laughs> legal hypotheticals. So is that possibly a homicide? I mean, the guy, the guy knew that he had the deadly disease. Again, this is purely hypothetical. So it is a very serious disease and, they, you, yeah, you cut out from out there, but you hear me? Yeah, you're back now, I think. I mean, the thing with COVID is, even though it is a very serious disease and has a higher percentage of fatalities and serious complications, I mean, it's still a very low probability that anybody who gets it is going to pass away. And obviously, there, there are certain caveats with any of that. But I mean, I, I don't think, it, I mean, you could do a very low level attempt, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it can rise to the level of homicide because that's... Or attempted homicide. But yeah. yeah, because you'd have to prove that the person, well, you'd have to prove intent unless you're going for involuntary mon manslaughter, I guess. Because like in involuntary manslaughter is, you correct me if I'm wrong, counselor, but is firing a gun into a crowd or actually that might be voluntary manslaughter. Like driving drunk could be in involuntary manslaughter in theory anyway what you're doing is risky. You should know that it's going to result in the death of someone, but you didn't necessarily intend to kill anyone. Right. So that, so that's kind of like not wearing a mask and spitting on people, but it's a stretch. And then you, then you'd have to show causation, right? You'd have to show that, I don't know how you'd show that that particular strain of COVID actually 
killed that I, person, right? Yeah. I, I don't know how the government would ever <laughs> really prove a case. Right, right. Of attempted, but I mean, I, it. There needs to be some kind of enforcement mechanism to make sure that people are staying healthy, not passing on COVID. But the way the way the laws and the way everything is structured right now, I don't see a viable path right. to criminalize it. Yeah, unless there was a there's a law specifically enacted to to criminalize it, which I guess you could. But I don't know that that people who have AIDS who conceal the fact that they have AIDS and have sexual relations with someone that, that from what I have seen in certain rare cases that could be considered a crime, but even that is, I guess, kind of hard to prove. So this is something short of that for sure, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's hard to prove. It's also, there's a more direct causation between the person who has AIDS. Absolutely. Than, than just with COVID. I mean, COVID, it's passed on by breathing, right? So if right. you're in the room with somebody, it just, there's the level of culpability. I mean, there is a level of culpability there, but criminalizing it would just infringe too much on people's personal liberties and so many other, so many other laws out there that I don't, I just don't see a viable path. Yeah. And that's frustrating for those of us who want to impose criminal liability on those fools who wear their mask around their under their chin the whole time so if you're gonna wear a mask just wear the mask people just go ahead and wear it we like that you're wearing it but please put it on anyway in a moment we're going oh by the way you can get more information on jonathan at fieldsdennis.com that's fields typical spelling dennis.com and if people want to email you jonathan can you provide that sure it's a uh, j crafts j c r a f t s at fieldsdennis.com there you go. In a moment, we're going to play a quick round of good stuff where both Jonathan and I will recommend something good that we've seen or consumed or experienced recently. Hopefully that'll help help your spirits a little bit during these trying unprecedented times. Before we do that, let me tell you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. We produce podcasts here. Would you like your own podcast? Now's a great time to start one. Go to pod617.com. To get started, we'll ship you out a USB microphone, a quality one, not one of those crappy ones. So you can record the whole thing remotely from your home. We'll be on the line with you, patching in guests for you, doing the intro, outro music, posting, and hosting your podcast. You could be the next big podcast star. Go to pod617.com. To get started, the Boston Podcast Network, in pod we trust. All right, let's play a round of good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. Mind you, Jonathan has had all about uh, seven and a half minutes to prepare for this. So we will take your answer with a grain of salt, Jonathan. But why don't you tell us something good that you have that maybe can lift the spirits of our listeners a little bit. What do you got for us? Let's see. I took the family out apple picking last weekend. Okay. Beautiful. It was nice to get outside. We've all been stuck in the house for far too long. Uh, Then brought the kids all back and made some applesauce, which... They you made applesauce. Yeah, wow. Applesauce with the family. It's a it's a lovely family tradition and it was good to get back to some of that. I uh, think it's Okay. I, I have lots of questions here. First of all, where did you do the, the apple picking? It was out in uh, Harvard, Mass, which is uh I think it's Carlton Arch Orchards out there. Okay. And and no no change in the protocol there because of the pan I take it you walk in wearing masks, but when you're in the fields, people don't wear the masks. 
Just curious. Uh, we and I think everybody else that I saw were wearing masks the whole time. You were okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's it, it's nice to be able to get outside. The kids all. I have three kids. They all were wearing masks, including the two-year-old. So that was. Uh, oh wow. It was an interesting time, but I mean, it was nice to get the whole family outside, running around. And you can't eat the apples when you're picking them, but. Oh really? Okay. That's a it's switch. A, it's, a, it's a great New England pastime. Sure. Being able to get out there during the fall and uh, get everybody some fresh air, get outside, <laughs> away you... from the TV, away from everything else. Yes, <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. I mean, listen, do it while you can, man, because I don't know about you. I'm fearing this winter. <laughs> I think I tend to get that seasonal depression syndrome thing a little bit when it gets colder and darker earlier and all that. And now it's like you can't even go out to the movies or a restaurant. So, well, I guess you can't under certain circumstances, but bleh. anyway, so good on you. But the homemade applesauce intrigues me. I've never heard of, I mean, I would assume such a thing was possible. Is that hard to make? It's probably the easiest thing in the world to oh, make. Oh, it is? Yeah. yeah. It just takes a little time because you got to boil everything down. So you, but it's a great, it's a great for the kid. Apples, throw them in, you just boil it down for a few hours. And, and then you uh, take them and you str- you mush them up and strain them. Okay. And then you serve it just sort of as is or with a little bit of cinnamon or something? or. I throw a little cinnamon nutmeg. This time of year, you don't need any sugar, so it's actually a relatively healthy snack. Mm-hmm. And it, the kids love it because I mean they they help make it, they help pick the apples, and it's just it's a it's a good family activity, and it's not sticking around the house, which these days I think that's all we can really hope for is just be able to get outside and do something else. Yeah, I'm with you. I started playing tennis with my son Griffin now and again just to get outside and do something physical. We're both terrible at tennis, but we, we're going to keep working at it. So my edition of Good Stuff will be to recommend the TV show that I just started. And I, I don't know whether too many people even know about this show. It's called Justified. You ever heard of this, uh, Jonathan? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think I used to watch that show. That was the one with, I can't remember his name. He, he wears the. Yeah. I don't remember his name either. He's one of these guys you you see on a bunch of different stuff. He was actually. I Drawn a blank on name. Yeah, me too. Well, I'll look it up. But so it it's a pretty simple story, and I just this is one that if you want to go back and start to binge, there's like five seasons. Timothy Oliphant is the name of the actor, and if you you know him, he's been in. He actually had a short run on the TV show The Office. He was on that show with Drew Barrymore where they were cannibals. They ate people or something. That seemed like a lot of fun. But oh, is that right? So I'll I'll play. A little bit of the the trailer and just so our listeners can get a taste and Jonathan you can watch and the listeners can listen and here's a little bit of the trailer for a season one of Justified. Deputy Marshal Ellen Gibbons, you got ice cold water running through your veins. 30 seconds. You're gonna pull out a gun and you're gonna shoot an unarmed man. 20 seconds. So what are you gonna do? 10. You do know we're not able to shoot people on sight anymore. He pulled first. Look at you. Looking like a lawman. You seen your daddy yet? No, not yet. Braylon, I never forgot you. You were too young. 
come into a town like Somerset and they'll blow up a car. And while the cops are busy, they'll go rob a bank. Now, do you know what that is? Mm -mm. I didn't either. That is the cap that goes on the end of a rocket launcher. You get the point. So this guy was a U.S. Marshal in Miami, and the opening scene uh, of the show is he blows some guy away and just apparently it's, it's uncalled for. It's And the whole point is, no, the shooting was justified because the guy pulled on him first. But so you've, you've seen a little bit of this show. So the reason I bring it up is because I just noticed it's one of the highest rated shows on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like it doesn't get talked about that much. This is five seasons sitting right there for you to watch on Hulu, I believe. Did you did, did your memories of this? You watched it kind of way back when it first came out? I watched it way back when. Yeah. I mean, and now, now it all, it's coming back to me. I don't think I I don't think I finished watching all five seasons. OK, but I do remember. I do remember the show. I remember being really good. Yeah, it's 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 like a simple story, but. There's like, he's got a past, so they're, they're sort of flashing back to things in the past. He he shoots somebody in Miami, and then he gets dispatched to Kentucky, which is where he grew up. And so the the, the I think maybe the reason I didn't pick it up in the first place is the premise doesn't sound like anything special. But it's got some good actors. It's got a couple of guys that you'll recognize from other shows. So that's my recommendation, Justified. Check it out. So that's uh, all the time we have today on the Boston Podcast. But Jonathan, hope you enjoyed yourself. Thank you for having me. It was great. My pleasure. And once again, if you want to get in touch with Jonathan Crafts, go to fieldsdennis.com, fieldsdennis.com, the, the law firm. And uh, just remember, not all lawyers are bad people. There's people like me and Jonathan who are actually kind of nice guys. So connect with them, throw them a bone. Thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. If you like this show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Share it with a friend. Give us a, a review on Apple Podcasts if you dig us. Go to pod617.com if you'd like your own podcast. On behalf of Jonathan Kraus, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Go pick some apples. Make some sauce. It's delicious. I said